It was the sound of a babbling brook. Well, one day, a king and his guard became lost in the forest. They could not find their way back to the kingdom. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. And since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales, personal tales, fairy tales, historical tales, and more. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. You know, we can choose to be a lot of things in this life, but maybe one of the most important things we can choose to be is kind. Kindness is both free and priceless. As the great American author Mark Twain put it, kindness is a language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. In today's stories, we'll get to see how a little kindness can go a long way, how one person's kindness can change another's life forever, and even often change their own life We're going to hear stories from all kinds of great tellers today, including Ingrid Nixon. She's going to tell a story called Hans, My Hedgehog. It's an old grim fairy tale that Ingrid Nixon is going to put a nice twist on. And you'll hear from Joseph Stans with many, a story called How Rabbit Tricked the Wolves. But to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Kendra Hanna. Kendra, it's great to have you with me today. Great to be here. And what are we going to hear today? We're going to hear a story called Little Yamo and the Apple Tree. And I really love this story. It's about a little boy named Yamo in Israel a long time ago who wants to help this apple tree who's just really thirsty. But he can't help it all by himself. So he has to go find find other people to help him help the apple tree. <laughs> I'm thinking so I'm getting shades of like the a, a reverse giving tree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Right. So will the apple tree get the help that it needs from little Yamo and the folks that he can muster to help? We're going to find out in this story told for you by the terrific L.A. storyteller Karen Golden. This is part of a collection of stories from the Jewish storytelling tradition that celebrate different moments in the entire year. A whole collection of stories about different times of year. And uh, this is Little Yamo and the Apple Tree from Karen Golden. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Little Yamo was walking through the forest one day in the land of Israel. He looked up at the tall green trees and he watched their branches sway in the breeze. He sniffed the fresh smell of pine needles. Ah! <sighs> Suddenly, he heard the most unusual sound. He looked around and around, but saw nothing. He continued to walk through the forest when he heard the sound again. Help me, help me, said a voice. Little Yamo turned around, and there he saw, between two tall trees of the forest, a tiny, wilted apple tree. Please help me, said the tiny apple tree. I am so thirsty. If you give me water, I will give you luscious, ripe, juicy apples. Apples, thought little Yamo. Yum, I love apples. If you take my apples, said the tiny apple tree, you can eat them with honey for Rosh Hashanah, or you can hang them on your sukkah for Sukkot. 
or you can make them into roasted apple salad for Passover. Please, little Yamo, please bring me water. Okay, said little Yamo. I will see what I can do. He ran through the forest until he heard a it was the sound of a babbling brook. Oh, water, water, he said to the brook. Please come with me so I can give you to the tiny apple tree that is dying of thirst in the forest. Please come with me. How can I come with you? asked the water in the brook. I need to be carried in something. Oh, that's true, said little Yamo. I can't carry water in my pocket. I will find something to put you in. So little Yamo walked again, deeper into the forest, until he looked up, and there he saw a big, beautiful old oak tree. The oak tree was covered with lovely bark, and he noticed that some of the bark was nearly ready to fall off. Oak tree, oak tree, said little Yamo. Please give me a piece of your bark so I can fill it with water from the babbling brook, so I can give the water to the tiny apple tree that is dying of thirst in the forest. I would love to give you some of my bark, said the old oak tree. But I am covered with acorns, and my branches are so heavy. My trunk is killing me. If you could find someone to shake off my acorns, I would gladly give you a piece of bark. Someone strong, thought little Yamo. Who is strong enough to shake a tree? He continued walking. Only this time, he walked beyond the forest. He walked from one end of the country to the other. He walked all the way to the north, to the mountains of the Golan. He walked all the way to the south, through the desert, to Eilat. He walked to the east, and he walked to the west, looking for the strongest person he could find. And then it occurred to him, A kibbutz farmer is very strong. A kibbutz farmer can shake the oak tree. Little Yamo went to the first kibbutz he saw after he had that thought. And there... He saw a big, strong farmer. Farmer, farmer, said little Yamo. Will you please come with me to shake the acorns from the old oak tree so she will give me a piece of bark so I can fill it with water from the babbling brook so I can give the water to the tiny apple tree that is dying of thirst in the forest? Please, please come with me. I would like to come with you, said the kibbutz farmer, but I need to plow this field. Look! Look how big it is, and my plow is not very good. If you could bring me a new plow, then I would come with you, for I would have more time. A plow, a plow, thought little Yamo. Where shall I find a plow? He continued walking. He walked from one end of the country to the other. He walked all the way to the north, to the mountains of the Golan. He walked all the way to the south, through the desert, to Eilat looking for a plow. Then it occurred to him the best place to find a plow would be at a blacksmith's shop where they make plows. Little Yama went to the first blacksmith's shop he could find and there he saw a plow. Blacksmith, blacksmith, said Little Yamo. 
Will you please give me a plow so I can give it to the kibbutz farmer so he will come with me to shake the acorns from the old oak tree? So she will give me a piece of bark so I can fill it with water from the babbling brook? So I can give the water to the tiny apple tree that is dying of thirst in the forest? Please, please give me a plow. I would like to give you a plow, said the blacksmith, but my work is so boring. I sit here alone all day in front of this fire. If you could bring me something to make my work easier and my day go by more quickly, then I could give you a plow. Something to make work easier and the day go by more quickly, thought little Yamo. He continued walking. He walked from one end of the country to the other. He walked all the way to the north, to the mountains of the Golan. He walked all the way to the south, through the desert, to Eilat. He walked to the east, and he walked to the west. But still, he could not find the answer. What would make the workday go by more quickly and make the work less boring? What could it possibly be? He continued walking. He walked and walked and walked until he came to a street corner. There he heard a musician playing a lovely tune. He began to sing the tune. La 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 But then he stopped himself. Oh, I am sorry, he said to the musician. I forgot to ask you, what may I give you for your beautiful tune? My heart has been lifted by your melody, and I would like to take the tune to the blacksmith to make his work easier, so he will give me a plow to give to the kibbutz farmer, who needs one to plow his field, so he will come with me to shake the acorns from the old oak tree, so she will give me some bark, so I can fill it with water from the babbling brook, so I can give the water to the tiny apple tree that is dying of thirst in the forest. Please, musician, please, what may I give you for your beautiful tune? Nothing, said the musician. Nothing at all. I will give you my tune because I want you to have it. You will? asked little Yamo. You will give me your tune for nothing at all? Yes, said the musician. If my tune will make the world a better place with one more beautiful tree, then it is worth it. Take my tune with my blessing. Thank you, said little Yamo. He hummed the tune all the way back to the blacksmith's shop. And when the blacksmith heard the tune, he began to hum along. He loved it. <laughs> and it made his work a lot easier. The blacksmith gave little Yamo a plow, which he took to the kibbutz farmer. A plow, said the kibbutz farmer. Just what I have wished for. Now I can come with you to shake the old oak tree. And he did. The farmer shook, and he shook, and he shook the tree. And the old oak tree said, Thank you. Oh, thank you. My trunk feels so much better. 
Now I will give you a piece of bark. And she did. Little Yamo took the bark to the babbling brook. And the water filled the bark. Little Yamo carried the bark very carefully through the forest to the tiny apple tree. Oh, please water me, cried the tiny apple tree. Little Yamo poured the fresh, cool water onto the dying tree. Oh, the water tastes so wonderful. Thank you, little Yamo. Thank you, said the tiny apple tree. In time, that tiny apple tree got bigger and bigger. Then it flowered and little apples burst forth, and the little apples grew larger and larger, just as promised. Little Yamo went back to the forest and picked those apples. Some of them he just ate. Because they were delicious. And some of them he dipped in honey for Rosh Hashanah. And some of them he hung on his sukkah for Sukkot in thanks for the wonderful harvest. And some of them he saved until Passover to make into haroset. And the apple tree, as far as we know, is still giving apples to this day thanks to the generosity of the musician and her lovely tune. Little Yamo and the Apple Tree, a story told for you by Karen Golden. I've been listening to it, not only with you, but with Kendra Hanna as well. Kendra, that's a great story. Yeah, I love it a lot. And I really love the idea that the best things in life, the most important things in life are, are free. Yeah. Things that we don't, have to, we don't have to pay for, that they're not conditional. Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about that story is if you're not familiar with the role that the apple plays in some of those uh, holidays, right? You get kind of this look at the role that apples play in Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot and Passover and some of the some you, you get an introduction. You you can walk through that door into kind of a new world of cultural knowledge, right? Yeah. It makes it very, very accessible. Yeah. And it tells it to you in a in a really fun story That's setting. That's right. Yeah. And stories can do that. Stories can help us walk through doors between us and a culture that we may not be familiar with. A pleasure to hear that story. Thanks for joining me, Kendra. Thank you. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's my great pleasure to be with you on this episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago you heard a story called Little Yamo and the Apple Tree, a story told for you by Linda Goodman. And coming up, you're going to hear stories from Ingrid Nixon and Joseph Stands with many. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you can share with the people that 
you love around the kitchen table or the living room. I'm going to share a memory of mine. It's, well, it's a baseball memory, and it's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Not all of my kids were interested in playing baseball, but one son was, and we signed him up for a little league team, and we were excited to see that the coach was a friend of ours from the neighborhood. We didn't even know that guy knew how to play baseball, but it didn't matter much. There was a willing guy to coach the team, and he happened to be a friend of ours, and, well, that was enough for what we anticipated would be a pretty good experience for our boy. Little did we realize that our friend didn't know much about baseball, and he was looking for help, and, well, I happened to answer the phone when it rang and wasn't about to say no. So, as it turned out, the team was going to have two coaches, my friend and, well, me. And we were assigned a team name, the Athletics, the A's. This was great. My grandpa was an A's fan in the days before he defected and started rooting for the Giants. And I've got great memories of watching A's games with my grandpa. So it was fun to put on the green shirt in this sojourn into little league coaching. And so outfitted, we went to work. The season was a blast, teaching kids the fundamentals of throwing and catching, getting them to think about working together, sometimes getting a pizza after a game to celebrate a victory or munch away a defeat. The members of our team were all about 10 years old, and they were a pretty good hang. And there was one game I'll never forget. We were playing against a team with one kid on it who was really born to the game. Maybe you know the kind of kid. And he wasn't a jerk. He was a super nice kid. He cheered his fellow players on with a whole lot of encouraging chatter from the dugout or the outfield, wherever he was playing. There was a lot of celebration from him when anyone on his team did well. And there was a lot of, don't worry about it, man, you'll get the next one, when the ball went uncaught or a runner went untagged. He loved being out there on a late spring day, and he made it fun for everyone on both teams. Our guys played better, and for sure their guys did too. We thought, now there's a kid that knows that it isn't all about winning, but how you play the game. How fortunate that team is to have a kid on it with such a great attitude. And we thought maybe we were looking at a kid whose primary asset was his attitude. We hadn't, after all, seen him hit. But then it was his turn at bat. And we didn't know what to expect. And he handled himself pretty well at the plate. He had a pretty good eye. And after a good full count, our pitcher walked him. The kid dropped his bat. And instead of walking to first, he ran with all his might. And we all chuckled, thinking that we were just seeing some good-natured hustle, a physical manifestation of his good attitude. But when he came to first base... He didn't hold up. The kid kept going. He rounded that base like a locomotive and poured it on to second. The catcher had dawdled in getting the ball back to the mound, and now, with a runner screaming toward second base, he threw the ball out there, and in his haste, he overthrew second base, and the ball went bouncing into the outfield, and a panic of little leaguers ensued, a million kids scrambling to grab that ball as the runner 
his long legs pumping, rounded second base, and headed to third. By that time, the kid in the field had picked up the ball and, a little disoriented, wondered what to do with it. And he looked at the pitcher and at third base and at home plate, and he hesitated. And the runner hit third base and rounded off toward home. And the fielder who had the ball got his bearings, and he let it fly toward home, and the runner slid toward home, and the ball sailed over his head, bounced off the catcher, and careened into the backstop. The kid was safe. He had run all the way around the bases, a home run on a walk. It was the first of three home runs just like it before the game was over. The last time, the catcher chased the kid back to third base and kicked up a cloud of dirt to intimidate him and then made the mistake of turning his back as the runner flew past him and slid across the plate in a glory of dust and met by a cheering crowd. And I can't get that kid out of my head. I feel something for him, something like envy. Envy for someone who knows the rules of the game well enough to be filled right up to the eyeballs with pure, unadulterated confidence. We lost the game that day, but we got quite a show. I think of that day from time to time on spring days, and I know my son does too. That kid lives in the back of both our minds, a little baseball inspiration for when it seems like making it home against the world's million obstacles is just an impossible dream. It's easy to feel that way, isn't it? But we know better. We saw that kid run that day. And in challenging times, that story is just about enough to get us through. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love as stories. And we we hope that you share them with us, too. We love to hear from you. And you can find us uh, by emailing theappleseed at byu.edu. Theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Write your story down. Some of our favorite stories come from listeners just like you. If you're just joining us, you just heard an entry in the Radio Family Journal, a baseball story, and at the top of the hour, a story called Little Yamo and the Apple Tree, a story told for you by Linda Goodman. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear a story from Ingrid Nixon, a version of the grim fairy tale Hans My Hedgehog. Ingrid Nixon will give it a nice twist of her own. It's coming up in just a little bit, but first... How about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, certainly through the great stories that get shared around the kitchen table or the living room, telling after telling after telling, and certainly through the things that we see on screen in great films and television, and uh, through the books that we read and the music that we listen to and even the food that we enjoy. And these days, it's easier than ever to discover great stories in radio and podcasts. There's kind of an explosion of great content in that arena. And talking about all of the ways in which great stories get down into us is something that we love to do here on The Appleseed. And here to talk a little bit about a favorite podcast is Jeff Simpson, our producer. Jeff, it's great to have you with me. It's great to be here. You know, there are so many 
options. I mean, certainly so much junk too, you know, you, but, yeah. but also some really great things to hear in the podcast space, you know, where people can kind of take these wonderful stories with them, even on their mobile devices and, and, and be with them wherever they want to want to go. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you, you've got a favorite that's really interesting to me. Let's talk a little bit about 1865. You know, I just discovered 1865 and you should know, and I'm sure that you would also count yourself um, as one of these, but I am a, a big fan of anything I can get my hands on that deals with President Lincoln. Right? Yeah. We've been given so many different, uh, so many different portrayals of Abraham Lincoln in film and on television. I think of Sam Waterston and Daniel yeah. Day Lewis portraying a Abraham Lincoln. I never saw it, but I also understand that Abraham Lincoln at one point was a vampire hunter as well. That's... <laughs> but uh, That's right. I've never found anything in the podcast realm. And so when I found this, I was super excited because it's a 16-part series. You get 16 episodes that deal with Right off the bat, you get the death of President Lincoln, but then the aftermath and yeah. the implications and the, the consequences of that tragic event. And it starts out with different letters being narrated by mm. a, a, a cast of, of actors, right? And then you also get these dramatized scenes that we might not have the most accurate records for or, we, you know, because... There may have only been two people in the room, right? So you get right. these dramatized, uh, you get these dramatized versions, dramatized versions of of what may have happened yeah, behind closed yeah. doors. This that's a that's a really interesting uh, uh, part of this story, right? Is mm -hmm. that is that is that a lot of the story happens to people who were alone or with just one other person didn't write anything down, or and so to piece the story together. In, a, a lot of authors and 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 makers of podcasts and things like that have used their imaginations to some degree to yeah. imagine some of the thoughts and some of the conversations that, that must have been happening around those events. And this podcast is produced by Wondery, who I've heard a few of their other podcast offerings, uh, Inside Psycho, Inside Jaws. I'm really into those movies, and so and the, those podcasts are cool too. They're these right. they're yeah. these these sort of inside looks at the stories behind the making of those great films. Right? right. And again, we don't have all the documentation for those movies. And so you get a little bit of dramatization there as yeah. well. So Wonder is just this this wonderful uh, service that has all of these different podcasts fully dramatized and oftentimes with a cast of celebrity performers. Yeah. And I can't wait to to dive a little deeper into this because as much as I've seen in terms of Abraham Lincoln on the screen and what I've learned in history class in high school and, and college, um, there's still so much more that I know I yeah. don't know, and I want to know. <laughs> it, the, the story of the assassination of Lincoln and, and its aftermath is a rich and affecting story. And and this podcast, it, it, far from being just a sort of listening to talking heads talk about sure. the, talk about the events, it's a fully realized audio drama, right? Yeah. Uh, in 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 the way that some of the best podcasts are. And, you know, you and I have talked on the show before about how we love to go on long road trips. And yeah. you visited some of these historical sites in our country. I, I haven't been as lucky uh, to visit some of the same ones that you have. But just imagine going to like a Civil War reenactment and getting to witness what that may have looked like. Right. Yeah. So 
it's impossible for us to be in the room as some of these discussions were happening. And what are we going to do now that President Lincoln is gone? And there, this was a big conspiracy. And there, you know, this wasn't just one person. It's impossible for us to know exactly what happened or the feelings that were behind those conversations. And so, you know, the the next best thing that we can do is. I don't want to say speculate, but to just dive into the documents and the proof that we do have of yeah. what actually happened, and then to try to turn to some really talented people to fill in the blanks, and the listeners are the beneficiaries of, of those efforts. I wondered, uh, when I became interested in the story of the assassination of Lincoln, if it's something that I could in any way present to my kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I, my son and I read the young people's version of James Swanson's terrific book, uh, Manhunt, The Hunt for Lincoln's Killer. And uh, it wound up being one of the richest reading experiences that we had as a father and son, you know, uh, engaging with this uh, potent and affecting piece of U.S. history. And I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to take a look at a, at a podcast telling of the same kind of thing. Yeah. So often on the show, in fact, just about every day on the show, <laughs> you mentioned that you hope that the stories that we share spark conversations with the people that we love, right? Spark yeah. memories that we can share with the people that we love. And sometimes the conversations that are started come from a place of truth and not always a fable, right? These are important conversations to have. It helps our kids and helps us to remember where we've been and where we hope to be as a country yeah. with when we deal with some of these real-life tragedies. Well, the podcast is 1865. Jeff, thanks for coming by to talk about it. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Such pleasure to chat with Jeff Simpson, our producer. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear a story from Ingrid Nixon that you're going to love called Hans My Hedgehog. It's a fairy tale from the Brothers Grimm, given a special twist by Ingrid, the great storyteller. And it's coming up. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on this hour of The Appleseed. A moment ago, a conversation with Jeff Simpson about the podcast 1865. And up next, a story, well, it's a Brothers Grimm tale told by Ingrid Nixon, who has a way of putting a spin on old tales in a way that makes them new. And in this story, a boy named Hans is born with the bottom half of a boy and the top half of a hedgehog. It's kind of a curse, if you want to know. As Hans grows, will he be able to find a way to break the curse? You're going to find out with Ingrid Nixon in a story called Hans, My Hedgehog. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. There was once a successful farmer. His crops grew, his animals were productive. At the market, he made a lot of money. But there was one area in which he was not so successful. He and his wife could not have children. And sometimes when he went to the market, the other farmers, perhaps jealous of his success, would taunt him. They'd say things like, Ha! Your pigs! Your pigs are more prolific than you are! Ooh, it burned. 
And one day, after a stinging harassment, the farmer came home. He was livid, and he vowed, I will have a son, even if he's just a hedgehog. Now, a hedgehog is a small animal, kind of like a porcupine, spiny, very cute. But it's not normally what you think of when you think of children. However, soon after the farmer made this declaration, his wife became pregnant. And nine months later, she gave birth to a most unusual child. From the waist up, he was a hedgehog. From the waist down, he was a normal human boy. As the farmer's wife stared at this odd child, she looked at her husband and she said, You, you have wished this upon us. And the farmer said, Well, it's too late now. We will have him christened. He will be called Hans my Hedgehog. Now, Hans was a difficult baby to hold, you know, because of the spines. And to suckle him? Oh, forget it. And they tried to put clothes on him, but his spines just shredded his shirts. I mean, he could wear pants. In the cradle, his spines would snag on all the blankets. Finally, the parents just threw some straw down on the floor behind the wood stove. And that is where they placed Hans. And that's pretty much where he grew up. He didn't move around a whole lot. He spent a lot of time in a state of torpor. And every now and then, the farmer would look behind that stove at his little spiny half-hedgehog son, and he would whisper, I wish that you would die. But Hans did not die. When Hans was eight years old, he began to move around a bit and interact more with his parents. One day, the farmer was going to a distant market. He asked his wife if there was anything he could bring her back, and she asked for some fabric and some embroidery thread. And then the farmer asked Hans if there was anything he would like. And Hans said, Hmm, bring me some bagpipes. Well, when the farmer returned from the market, he brought Hans his bagpipes, and Hans began to play those pipes there in the kitchen, and oh, he was good. I, child prodigy. He started out with traditional tunes. He experimented a little bit with classical music. Dabbled a bit in show tunes. But what he really loved to play were love songs. Well, as he played there in the kitchen, his parents stuck their fingers in their ears and just endured. So one day, Hans said, Father, I know you've never been fond of me, and uh, you certainly don't support my musical career, so I have a proposal for you. If you will give me two pigs and two cows, males and females of each, and put a bridle and saddle on the rooster, I will be out of here. You will be rid of me. Now, the farmer didn't know you could put a bridle and a saddle on a rooster, but he took the rooster down to the smithy, and it turns out you can. So the day came when they all stood in front of the cottage. Hans had his bagpipes on his back. 
took the reins of old Red, put his foot in the stirrup, swung his legs up over the rooster. He said, Goodbye, Dad. He saluted, and he rode out of town, driving his two little pigs and two cows in front of him. Get along, little doggies. And he rode that rooster through the countryside and into the deep, dark forest. He went deep, deep, deep into the forest when at last he turned the pigs loose and the cows loose to multiply. And then he flew up on his little rooster to the branches of a tree. And there he sat playing beautiful music on his bagpipes. And years passed. The pigs and the cows multiplied and Hans really increased his repertoire. Well, one day, a king and his guard became lost in the forest. They could not find their way back to the kingdom. Well, suddenly the king said, Shh, shh, wait. What is that beautiful music? <laughs> the guard said, it seems to be coming from that tree, sire. The king said, hand me my spotting scope. And the king looked through that scope at this little half-hedgehog boy, man, sitting on a rooster, playing the bagpipes. And as he put the scope down, the soldier said, well, what is it, sire? And the king said, if I told you, you'd never believe me. But just then, Hans fluttered down on Old Red, bowed before the king and said, Your Majesty, how may I be of service? And the king said, We are lost. Can you show me the way back to my kingdom? And Hans said, I can. And the king said, I will pay you handsomely. And Hans said, No, no. But what I ask is, upon returning to your kingdom, you give me the first thing you encounter. The king said, Fine. Hans said, shake on it? And the king said, no, I will put it in writing. And he called for a piece of parchment and a pen. You see, the king sized up Hans and thought, he is illiterate. I can write anything on this parchment. And so the king scribbled out nonsense, signed it with a flourish, rolled it up and gave it to Hans. And Hans pointed him the way out of the forest. Now, as the king and his guard approached his castle, it so happened that his daughter was keeping a watch out for him up in the highest turret. And when she saw the king approaching, she ran down, down, down that spiral staircase and ran out in front of the castle to greet her father. So she was the first thing he saw upon returning. Father, father, she said. The king thought of his promise to Hans. And then he laughed. Ha! Let him prove it. Time passed, and there in the deep, dark forest, the pigs and the cows continued to multiply, and Hans continued to practice. I mean, he was really good, ready to turn pro. And it so happens that one day, another king and his servant became lost in the forest. They could not figure their way back to their kingdom. Suddenly the king said, Shh, listen! The king said, what is that beautiful music? And the servant said, it seems to be coming from that tree, sire. The king looked up and said, oh, it seems to be a little hedgehog boy man playing the bagpipe sitting on a rooster up in the tree. How marvelous. 
And just then, Hans fluttered down on Old Red, and he said, Your Majesty, how may I be of service? The king said, We are lost. And Hans said, I can show you the way back to your kingdom. And in return, I only ask that you give me the first thing that you encounter when you return. The king said, Done. Let's shake on it. And they shook hands, and Hans showed him the way out of the forest. As that king approached his castle, his only daughter, his beautiful, lovely daughter, was up in the highest turret keeping watch for him. And when she saw her father approaching, she ran down, down, down that spiral staircase and out in front of the castle to greet him, Father, Father. She was so beautiful. And she was the first thing the king saw upon returning home. He thought of the promise he had made Hans, and he thought, a promise is a promise. So he put his arms around his daughter and said, oh, my dear, it is lovely to see you. We need to talk. Still, Hans remained in the forest playing beautiful music on his bagpipes, allowing his pigs and his cows to multiply until there was a day when there were so many animals. I mean, they pretty much overran the forest. So Hans decided that it was time to have a little cattle-swine drive back to the village that he had grown up in. He flew down on Old Red and started to get the animals moving in the right direction. And once he got out of the forest, he sent word ahead that they were to make as much space as possible in all the fields and the barns and the corrals that he was going to have a massive livestock sale. As the word spread, Hans's father was quite surprised to learn that his son was still alive. All these years he had heard nothing. He thought Hans was dead. He got tears in his eyes. Hans sold the pigs and cows at auction and made a killing. But it was during that time he learned that the tears in his father's eyes were not tears of joy. After the auction, there came that time where Hans was standing out in front of the house that he'd grown up in, his pockets bulging with money. He put his foot in the stirrup and swung his leg up over old Red. He said, Goodbye, Dad. And he rode out of that village to the kingdom of the first king. Now, the first king had standing orders that should anyone matching Hans's description approach the castle, he should be shot on sight. He even had posters drawn up with Hans's image. So as Hans approached the castle, the head guard pulled out one of those posters and began to analyze the situation. Okay, so um, he's supposed to be half hedgehog, half boy or man, unclear. Check. He's playing the bagpipes. Check. Riding a rooster. Hey, hey, wait a minute. No, it's not him. Not him. You see, here it says he's riding a rooster, but that guy's riding a chicken. Another guard said, well, you know, a rooster is actually a male chicken, and the guard proceeded to point out that Old Red did have actually a very large comb, to which the guard said, Ah, uh, okay, okay, it's him, all right, ready, aim, fire! 
and they let fly a volley of arrows. But Hans on Old Red, his trusty rooster, he flew up over those arrows, over the castle wall, and through the window right into the throne room. And there was the king and his daughter. Hans said, King, I have come to claim what you promised me. And the king said, Well, I will never give you my daughter. And Hans said, Daughter? And the daughter said, What? And Hans said, But I have it here in writing. And he produced the scroll. The king said, Ah, what's on there is nonsense. You have no proof. And Hans said, If you do not give me your daughter as promised, I will kill you both. The king paused. Then he turned to his daughter and he said, You know, honey, you really need to go with this man. The princess began to cry. The king ordered up a fine carriage pulled by six white horses, and he loaded the carriage with all sorts of wonderful things. And then he led his daughter down to the carriage, preparing to say goodbye to her. She had not stopped crying. And at this point, Hans looked at her, and he said, Oh, will you ever stop your sniveling? And then he looked at the king and he said, King, you are a liar. And you are a cheat. In fact, the two of you, you disgust me. I despise you. I reject you both. And Hans swung his leg up over Old Red and rode to the castle of the second king. Now this king had left word with his guards that if anyone matching Hans' description should approach, he should be greeted with open arms. So when the guards saw Hans approaching, they called out, Viva! and they escorted Hans directly to the throne room, and there was the king and his daughter. Now for the princess, up until this moment, she had been preparing herself for the day where she might have to marry a being that was half hedgehog, half man. But, you know, I mean, how can you really prepare for something like that? So when she first saw Hans, she shuddered. But then she remembered her father's promise. She took a deep breath, stepped forward and said, It is so very nice to meet you. They married that afternoon, and after the wedding they enjoyed the banquet, and then it was time for bed. Alone in their bedchamber, the new bride said, I confess, husband, I am a little afraid of your spines. Hans said, Have no fear. I would never hurt you. And Hans told the king to appoint four men. They were to light a great fire. And when Hans was ready for bed, he would take off his hedgehog skin and lay it on the floor. They were to run in, grab the skin, throw it on the fire. And they were to tend that fire until the skin was completely consumed. So at the appointed time, Hans slipped off that skin and slipped into bed. The four men rushed in, grabbed the skin, threw it on the fire. As soon as the last bit of skin drifted up as ash, Hans was free from the spell. The princess flipped back the cover, and there he was in perfect human form, only his skin was like ash. His skin was coal black, as though he were made of charcoal. The young wife asked for a basin of warm water and a cloth and some healing balms. And she began to wash his body and rub in the healing balms and that charcoal 
tissue became healthy skin. And when she was done, Hans was a handsome young man. He looked at the princess, she looked at him, and they fell instantly in love. That day, they had another wedding celebration. And afterwards, the king gave the kingdom to his new son-in-law. He was thrilled to see his daughter so happy. Several years passed, and one day Hans said he had an errand to do. He and his wife got in a carriage and rode to the village that he had grown up in. He went to the cottage where he had lived behind the stove oh, for so many years, and he knocked on the door. An old man answered, his father. Hans said, Is there also an old woman here? And Hans's father said, She died. What do you want? Hans said, I am your son. And the old man said, No, no, my son is dead. And Hans said, No, I live. I, I will prove it to you. And he called for his bagpipes. And that's when the old man said, Oh, no, 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 I believe you, I believe you. Hans took his father's hands, looked into his watery eyes and said, Father, I forgive you. And then he helped the old man into the carriage and took him back to the castle, and that is where he lived for the rest of his days. In fact, they all lived happily ever after. Ingrid Nixon with her version of an old Brothers Grimm tale, Hans My Hedgehog. A pleasure to bring you that story. Ingrid Nixon always putting a twist on an old tale to make it new. And the last story we have for you today comes from the great Native American storyteller Joseph Stands with Many. And in this tale, from the Cherokee Nation, we'll get to watch as a little rabbit attempts to outsmart some very hungry wolves. Will rabbit be able to escape being eaten? Well, you're going to find out. That's the story. It's called How Rabbit Tricked the Wolves, told for you by Joseph Stands with Many. Happy to bring it to you right here on The Appleseed. I like to tell you a story about how rabbit tricked the wolves. Now, a long time ago, back in the old days, hundreds of years ago, this story was a learning story for young boys. They were learning how to be warriors. So many of the games that they used to play were to teach them how to hunt and skills for fighting. And one of the nice things about this story is, is that it taught them not so much how to fight, but when to use your brain and how not to fight, how to get yourself out of trouble so you didn't have to. So this is a story about how Rabbit tricked the wolves. A long, long time ago, Rabbit was out in the middle of a big, big field. Big field, bigger than a football field. And all around this field, in a big circle, were these trees. Big, big old trees. See, a long time ago, trees were huge. Trees were so big, they went way up into the clouds. And you couldn't see past these trees. Rabbit, he just hopping about thinking, what do I want to eat? Looking at the trees, thinking, I can't eat a tree. But I sure could go for some carrots, maybe some dandelions. Now, what Rabbit didn't know is hiding behind all these big trees were a bunch of hungry wolves. And they were thinking it's almost lunchtime. 
and they were seeing that rabbit out there, that teeny little rabbit out there in the middle of that field, and they were thinking, eh, it's not a lot to eat, but it'll be a small appetizer to get us started. So rabbit, he's hopping about, yeah, what am I going to eat? Mm, kale sounds real good. Maybe some kale and some carrots, and that's when all of a sudden all those hungry, hungry wolves started coming out real slow out of the forest. See, now, a wolf just doesn't run up and try to get something. Sometimes it'll walk right by what it wants to catch and eat just to see if it's worth running after. Because every time a wolf has to run, it's using energy, and that's food that it needs. So those wolves, they started to sneak out real slow, and Rabbit, he's hopping about, and he smells something, and he looks around, and he stops, and he's thinking, uh-oh. Those wolves look awful hungry, and I think I'm in some big, big trouble here. And those wolves, they were just inching their way up, and they had their lips curled up, and they were just showing Rabbit that they were going to get him. And Rabbit, using his brain and being a trickster, thought of a trick to get out of trouble. And as those wolves were inching their way up, he yelled out, Wolves, stop! And they stopped, and he said, Listen, before you come any closer... Before you eat me, how about I honor you with a song and a dance? See, Rabbit remembered the wolves liked to sing and dance, and they would stop eating for a good song and dance, and he was going to use that to trick them and get out of trouble. So the wolf said, yeah, Rabbit, go on. Beat us a song on that drum of yours, and we'll dance, and then we'll eat you. So Rabbit, who always carries his drum everywhere, started drumming, started singing and dancing right there in the middle, and the wolves, they started to dance a big circle around them. And they danced and they danced and they danced. But like all songs, the song ended and they started coming in closer and closer. And they were about halfway across that field and Rabbit yelled out, Wolves, stop. I bet I honor you with another song and another dance. And the wolves said, well, you know, Rabbit, that first one was good. Give us another song and then we're going to eat you. So Rabbit started beating on his drum and started dancing and started singing and the wolf started to dance and Rabbit got that song going a little bit faster. He wanted to get them kind of worn out and they danced and they danced and they danced and danced and like the other song and like all songs has to end and those wolves started to come in closer. Now Rabbit could start to smell them and he could see steam coming out of their nostrils and he could see the drool coming out their fangs and, oh, they were getting closer and closer and they were so close they could just reach out and grab them and rip them to shreds if they wanted to. And Rabbit, he was shaking, he was scared, he knew this was going to be the end if this trick didn't work, but he knew it was going to work. Rabbit's smart like that and... He wanted them this close, even though he was that scared. And he said, wolves, I can guarantee I am going to taste real good. But before you eat me, one last song and one last dance. And those wolves said, yeah, Rabbit, come on. One more song, one more dance, then we're going to eat you. So Rabbit started beating on his drum, and he started hopping about, and he started dancing, and the wolves were dancing. They were so, so close. Their fur was brushing on his fur, and they danced, and they danced, and now... I'll tell you, when a wolf likes a song and when it likes a dance, it likes to howl. And if you ever seen a wolf howl, it always puts its head back, closes its eyes, and starts to howl. So those wolves were dancing, and they were howling with their eyes closed. And when they weren't looking, Rabbit jumped over the top of their heads and ran across the field. 
and got away into the forest. And that's how Rabbit tricked the wolves. And that's how it was told to me. How Rabbit Tricked the Wolves, a story told for you by Joseph Stans with many. Happy to bring that tale to you here on the Appleseed, as well as the other stories that you got to hear this hour. Always a pleasure to be with you. You can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. There's an archive there filled with episodes of the show, which themselves are filled with stories. You can also Google the Appleseed podcast for something new just about every day. Not only the hour-long episodes that we enjoy bringing you so much, but also mini episodes. We call them Appleseed Extras, just a single story long, just a few minutes in case you only have a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with a great story. Today you can find a story called Seven Goat Kids from the great South Carolina storyteller Tim Lowry. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.